Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that he is revealing in this hour concerning the church Jesus is building is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. We present what we believe is the real truth regarding a matter which has gained international attention within many segments of the church at large, the matter of the restoration of the prophetic gifts and office. Many new ministries, ministry organizations, conferences, and even schools with an emphasis on the prophetic realm are springing up in various places. This new emphasis is being dubbed a new movement by some. It's already sparking poignant and sometimes heated debate between proponents and opponents of this rather controversial topic. One Christian magazine devoted an entire issue to the matter of this growing movement. Many church leaders have already taken and announced their stand on the issue. What does God have to say about this important matter in the Bible? That is our consuming quest on the Real Truth radio program. To report to you, our listeners, the real truth of what God is saying to the church today. Our sole source of authority is the closed canon of 66 books known as the Bible, the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Our premise is simple. If it's in the Bible, it's the real truth. If it's not, then it just cannot be the real truth. In this series of teaching and comments, we'll be reporting what our research indicates is the real truth regarding this somewhat controversial matter, the restoration of the prophetic gifts and office. Over the course of the series, we'll report answers from the Bible to the questions most frequently asked by believers in regard to this topic. This is Stephen Lambert. We trust you're enjoying this episode of The Real Truth. You can hear other episodes and send us your comments and questions at realtruthradio.com. In the previous segment of teaching, we discussed the fact that God is a personal God who ever since the very beginning of creation has wanted to communicate with his mankind creation. His eyes search to and fro across the face of the earth, looking for those who are intent upon hearing his communication and long for his fellowship. I said that God employs many means of communication, 
and will use whatever means necessary to communicate his message, will, and purposes to his people. I also mentioned that God used numerous channels of communication in the Bible, speaking through people, angels, circumstances, his supernatural acts, through a burning bush, and even through a dumb donkey once. Certainly, we know without a doubt that God has not become mute, but rather is still speaking today and is adamant about maintaining communication and fellowship with his people today. Also in the previous segment, we discussed the matter of the direct communication and fellowship that Adam and Eve enjoyed prior to their disobedience and fall in the Garden of Eden. It, we said, was perfect internal communication by the Spirit. But when Adam disobeyed God's direct commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was the carnal nature of Satan, the sin nature, though they continued to live physically, Adam and Eve died spiritually, just as God had said they would. They were dead spiritually in their trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 describes which condition was then extended unto every person ever born since Adam and Eve and from whom all of mankind is descendant. The horrible result of the fall was that man lost that direct communion and communication that he once had with God. All human spiritual hearing and sight or spiritual insight was greatly dulled and man was rendered spiritually insensitive to the voice of God. This resultant condition is described in Isaiah 6, 9 and 10, where it says, And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on seeing, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Spiritual death and profound insensitivity to the voice of God was the consequence that extended to all of mankind as a result of the disobedience of the first Adam. But also, as we indicated in the previous segment, thank God there also came a second Adam. His name was Jesus. He came to reverse the curse and all the effects of the curse that came upon mankind as a result of the first Adam's sin and disobedience. The very purpose of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth as a man was to, as a member of the human race, redeem mankind by means of his substitutionary death and thereby to destroy the works that the devil had wrought over God's mankind creation, which included sin and the effects of sin. This is the meaning of the Apostle John's declaration in 1 John 3, 8, The Son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. In a nutshell, Jesus came to reverse the curse and all its effects. That's the crux of 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 16. It says, But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, 
because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. By his substitutionary death, Jesus rent the veil that had been placed over our spiritual eyes through Adam's sin, restoring our ability to see into the spiritual realm. The second Adam, Jesus, through his perfect obedience, restored our spiritual communication with God that was lost through the first Adam's disobedience. However, because the sin nature has not been totally eradicated from us, we still look through a dark glass dimly. We know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, as verses 9, 10, and 12 of 1 Corinthians 13 inform us. It says, quote, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Our knowledge is not yet complete. It is only partial. Until the last trump of God sounds and we receive our full redemption, that is the redemption of of our bodies, when the carnal nature is removed, our spiritual knowledge will continue to be only partial. But then, when the last trump of God sounds and we are, quote, changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, end quote, and the corruptible shall be replaced by the incorruptible, we shall then know fully, just as we have been fully known. Until then, however, we only know that which God chooses to reveal to us by the Spirit. But then, in that moment, at the last trump of God, when we are face to face with Jesus, we'll have no questions, no, not one. Until then, the attainment of true spiritual knowledge and understanding is an ongoing, progressive process. Knowing how to hear from God is a process that no believer is perfected in yet and never will be until we receive our full redemption. When the carnal nature that plagues us and compromises our spiritual sensitivity is removed from us. Until then, the flesh will continue to war against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. Hebrews 5.14 tells us, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses, that is their spiritual senses, trained to discern good and evil. Understanding how to and becoming adept at recognizing the voice of the Lord and being able to distinguish the truly good from the truly evil is an ongoing learning process which is only perfected through years of practice in training one's spiritual senses. 
Fortunately, however, the good news is that while we are in that process, the Lord has not limited himself to any one means of communication exclusively, but employs numerous means to communicate to us. As I stated in the previous segment of teaching, since the fall of man, God now speaks to us through three main categories of communication. First, through the revelation of the eternal life of God, Jesus Christ, revealed by means of the 66 books of closed canon, which we call the Bible. Second, through internal communication by the Spirit, by means of the inward witness, that is through dreams and visions, and just through the inward witness of the Spirit. And thirdly, through the external media of the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the time remaining in this segment of our teaching, we examine God's primary means of communication, which is Jesus Christ himself, as revealed through the Logos, Word of God. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 12, we are told that Jesus is the exact expression of God and the radiance of God's glory. Speaking of Jesus, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 1, 1 through 3, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld in our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. When Jesus was preparing the disciples for his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he told them, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. But Thomas retorted, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way to get to where you are going. Jesus responded to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Incredibly, however, still not understanding the import of Jesus' statements, Philip said to him, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be sufficient for us to know the Father. Jesus' incredulity and frustration is evident in his response to Philip's statement. Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? and the Father is in me? How true these words of Jesus are. He who has beheld Jesus has also beheld God the Father, for Jesus is God the Son and is the exact expression, representation, and likeness of the Father. 
1 Timothy 3.16 states specifically that Jesus was God himself manifest in the flesh. Colossians 2.9 tells us that Jesus was the fullness of God in bodily form. Jesus was the exact and complete expression of God himself. He is heaven's thoughts, words, principles, plans, and pattern of living made visually and verbally manifest here on the earth. Romans 8.29 tells us that Jesus was the prototype of a new race of God-created beings, the children of God, the firstborn of many brethren who are being conformed into the image and likeness of God. But the question is, how can we today perceive him? How can we today behold him? How can we today know him in person as the early apostles did? The answer is, by the word of God. For Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the Word was God, and we beheld His glory. We beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we are told, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. To know Jesus is to know the Word of God. To meet Jesus personally is to meet him in the pages of the Bible. To perceive the eternal life of God, Jesus Christ, is to perceive that life as it is expressed and explained in the Word of God. Jesus was the Word of God made flesh. He is the Logos of God, the Word of God. He is God's message to man. He is the summation of everything pertaining to God, the entire mystery of God. Jesus is the exact expression of God. He is the embodiment of all of God's communication. He is the prophetic word made more sure. Enjoying this podcast? Please take a minute to pray if the Lord would have you help us with the substantial financial burden of this program. We receive no grants or funding from any organization or government agency and have no other means of support than the gracious and generous giving of our listeners. SLM Inc. bears the entire burden. In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash SLMINC to give any amount. Thank you for your gifts, generosity, and graciousness. In this segment of our teaching, we want to discuss the second means of communication which the Lord uses to communicate with redeemed man. Now that the second Adam has come, bringing redemption, which is divine intercommunications by the Holy Spirit. 
As I said in previous segments, Jesus, when he was here in the flesh, was the Word of God made flesh. He was the exact representation of God. He came to show us the Father. He was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. But Jesus, in his first coming to earth, came as a man in order to redeem man. His mission was to provide redemption and then to return to heaven. In his first coming, Jesus did not come to live eternally as a man and to occupy the earth, but rather to die as the human sacrificial lamb upon whom the sins of the world were placed to taste of spiritual death and separation from God, to be cast into hell, partaking of divine judgment, and then to be resurrected out of the throes of death, hell, and the grave, appearing before the judgment seat of God as our spiritual high priest and then to return to earth, proclaiming and demonstrating his utter victory over death, hell, and the grave, and then to return unto heaven to retake his seat at the right hand of God, where he now sits evermore, making intercession unto God on behalf of the saints. But when he ascended, Was the world to be void of the presence of God and void of divine representation? No. Jesus promised that when he would go away, he would send the Holy Spirit in his place. As Jesus was preparing the disciples for his imminent death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, he said to them, I go to prepare a place for you. He went on to tell them, in just a short while, the world will behold me no more. Notice he said, the world will behold me no more. He was speaking of the fact that following his substitutionary death, the world, the people of this world, unregenerate man, would see him no more. And we know from what transpired and was recorded in the Bible that that was true. After his death, he appeared only to his disciples. The people of the world, those who had not believed in him, saw him no more. Still today, it is true, those who do not believe simply cannot behold him. Ah, but those who truly believe do behold him in all of his glory and power. That's what Jesus went on to say to the disciples. He said, in just a little while from now, The world will behold me no more, but you will behold me. How was it that the disciples were going to be able to see him, but all of the people of the world would not? Because Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, that is, without a father, but I will come to you. How would he come to them? By means of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that he would send the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, to represent God unto them, to be the paracletos, the divine helper, after his bodily ascension into heaven, in his stead. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper 
that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. His role is to guide us into all spiritual truth and to be our helper. Jesus is the truth. The Holy Spirit teaches us about Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name or on my behalf, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all of my words to you. The Holy Spirit is the divine communicator between God and born-again believers. He has come to teach us about Jesus, to guide us into all truth, to show us the eternal life, and to communicate divine counsel, guidance, and instruction from God the Father. In John 16, 7, prior to his departure, Jesus told the disciples that it was to their advantage that he go away, because if he didn't go away, the Helper could not come. But when I have gone, he said, I will send him to you. Then he went on to tell more of why he would send the Holy Spirit after his departure and more of the benefits which would endure to them with the Holy Spirit's coming. He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears of the words of Jesus, he will speak and he will reveal to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine, that is my words, Jesus was saying his words, he shall take of mine and shall reveal it to you. What Jesus is speaking about here is the role of the Holy Spirit in communicating to born-again believers after Jesus' ascension into heaven. And ever since his coming, the Holy Spirit has been doing just that, taking of the thoughts, words, purposes, plans, and will of God, and communicating them unto true born-again believers, in whose hearts the person of the Holy Spirit has taken up abode. Since Jesus has restored our fellowship with God through his vicarious death, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16 tells us that we now have the very mind of Christ. Now, the mind of Christ is not our mind, but is the Holy Spirit's communication within our born-again spirit. By means of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we now have the mind of Christ, by which we can now know the mysteries and the very depths 
of God. This is the internal or inward communication which is within us by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is what we refer to as the inward witness of the Spirit. Romans 8.16 says, The Holy Spirit bears witness with our human spirit. This is the inner witness. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This again makes reference to the inward leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit within believers. Now this leading and guiding, teaching and general communication by the Holy Spirit can be transmitted by several different means. One, the inner witness, an inward knowing or inward intuition by the Spirit. Two, a manifestation of the revelation gifts of the Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, or discerning of spirits. Three, dreams, and four, visions. All of these are valid means of internal or inward communication, which the Holy Spirit uses to communicate with redeemed believers. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.